If you take Jesus out, you, you're going to have fun for a while, but ultimately it becomes empty. It's a shell and it has no meaning anymore. Mm. That's very important to understand. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith and your critical thinking skills. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'm your host, and we are here to help guide you along this journey called life. But ultimately, this journey is your own. We can't do it for you. You have to be the one to take control of your life, understand what you believe and why you believe it. And we want to have the best guidance that you can get anywhere in the Treasure <laughs> Valley, and I would say maybe even America and the world. Dr. Douglas Peak, the salty master himself, is here wow, with us. Wow, the hyperbole is big today. <laughs> well, greetings, everyone. It's good to have you. And one of the best ways to uh, really direct your own faith, take ownership, is making decisions. Decisions based on really good information, good data is really important. And that's why every Tuesday we do a Bible study. Because I want you to know what the Bible says, what the Bible teaches, and uh, you can then really dig into it for yourself and apply it to your life. And that's where wisdom and maturity come from. So today we're going to dig into Jesus's Christmas and we're going to talk about the Magi. So our first week we talked about Joseph and Mary. Yes. Last week we talked about the shepherds, shepherds. with Zach and yep. now you're talking about the Magi. Yes. So we're just kind of working through all the people that were... A part At, of the Christmas yeah, about story. about the whole Christmas story. It's yes. like you thought about it or something. <laughs> yes, like we planned it that way. Well, let me read the passage um, that we're going to be discussing today, and then we can dive into it. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 12, and it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where's the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may too go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Well, this is uh, really a great little story here, and I think before we dig into it, we really have to... Remember that Matthew is writing his gospel to the Jewish people, and his goal is to convince them that Jesus is the Messiah. And so it, it, this little uh, interaction with the Magi only really occurs in the gospel according to Matthew. It's unique. Mm. And what's fascinating about it is it really shows a lot of... Uh, 
things that people who were who had grown up Jewish, they were Jewish, they were very knowledgeable of the Old Testament scriptures. It would have meant a lot to them in kind of the testimony right off the bat. He knows his audience that he's writing for. And he knows, I think that's yeah. important to understand because I don't think we, I specifically, don't always think about well, who was this written for? Correct. And that informs a lot of, you know, you don't want like a documentary writer writing science fiction and you don't want a science yeah. fiction writer <laughs> writing a documentary, right? Like, yeah. so knowing the audience you're writing for and having the right skills to do that is important. So some of these things have more impact when we understand why Matthew's writing about them and what importance they were to and the why, people. Yeah, he included what he did. And, and the first thing he did is he talked about the Magi and the Magi... Uh, we, we don't really know if there were three or not because Matthew never says we make that assumption based on the three gifts. Mm. So, but it could have been three, it could have been 10. We really don't know. And Matthew didn't think it was pertinent to list the number. What he did do though, is he did talk about the Magi and the Magi were a group of people that were culturally transcendent, meaning that this group of people existed in all different kinds of cultures. Okay. So they were cross-cultural. They were cross-cultural. And what happened is these people were known to be stargazers, dreamer of dreams, seeker of truth. And so that's why a lot of times they're called the wise men Mm. is because what they would do is they would try to figure out what was going on based upon the reading of the stars. And, uh, they were very involved in trying to interpret dreams. And, uh, so now if you've ever been out, you know, in the wilderness camping and you look up, you know, you can see there's so many stars in the sky. They're just massive star amount of stars. We don't see them very often, especially if you grew up in the city because of what is commonly known as light pollution. Mm. And that is because there's so much light in a city, it reflects off the atmosphere and it blinds you to the Milky Way and the stars. But when you get out into the wilderness and you're camping or backpacking, you're up in the mountains, uh, you can just see just massive and massive amounts of stars. So the Magi had a lot to work with. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of a lot of stars to see. Uh, there's a lot of stars. The stars move. You know, if you're familiar with uh, uh, your astronomy and how that works, the North Star doesn't move, and everything else basically uh, circulates in around it and. That's why you can navigate by the North star because it doesn't move. You got to be able to find it though. Most people can't. And unless you're trained. So the Magi were a wise people. And what's really interesting here is I think Matthew is pulling out a contrast between King Herod and all of the Sadducees and Pharisees. It says that, you know, he, he called everybody and said, you know, Hey, what's going on here? And what's really interesting is the, the Magi quote a passage from the old Testament Jewish scriptures and say, uh, basically where is, you know, the prophet wrote this word. And so they were reading from the old Testament, even though they weren't Jewish people. So that tells us that they were really, you know, knowledgeable of all different kinds of writings and ancient writings. The second thing it tells us they were literate. Uh, the third thing it tells us is that 
they were in contrast to the fact that here they were, they're not even Jewish and they travel a great distance to find Jesus. And then the people who should have known all about Jesus being born, right? The Messiah being born were just right there and they missed the whole thing. Right. So even though it even says it in the scriptures, even right? those, like yeah. that's their job is to interpret the scriptures and, and, and study them. Yeah. They missed it. And these they guys who are just studying the stars are like, Hey, we think this guy is yeah, we're in studying the stars or studying these other things. Now, maybe part of the reason why they missed it is because in the old Testament, it does say that divination and astrology and these things are not beneficial and they're not helpful. But uh, what Matthew is doing is I think he's showing how these, these wise men came out of their way to worship Jesus. And what they said is they made references to his divinity right up front. So when they were quoting the Old Testament scriptures, what they were doing is, is, is Matthew is showing is that they were people who really were seeking the Messiah and they wanted to come and uh, and find him. So I think that that's what we know about the Magi themselves, that they were a class of wise people who were well-read and traveled a great distance to find Jesus. Well, and I think it's interesting too, because uh, I love this idea that Jesus was always kind of a rebel during his time. And he's constantly kind of flipping the tables on Pharisees and the, the guys that are supposed to be the most pious, most religious guys. He's constantly spending time with shepherds and fishermen yeah. and prostitutes and tax collectors. And even at his birth, it's the scientists slash uh, wise men that are not necessarily Jewish people necessarily. Correct. Right. Yeah, correct. His birth is he's surrounded by shepherds and people like he didn't have all this fanfare of all these religious teachers coming to, to wait upon him. It was scientists who didn't even necessarily believe in the Jewish laws or things of that nature yeah. and shepherds and these people that were considered lowly compared to how authoritative and how much power these, these teachers of the law and these Pharisees and Sadducees were right. And yes, so very much so. I, very I much love so. that God's still constantly flipping the table. Even yes. at the birth, he's like, nah, yeah. let's have him hang out with the guys that are, you know what I mean? So the, what I think is interesting is the Magi are studying the stars. Do we Correct. have, um, for those who are a little skeptical, maybe do we have an idea of maybe what star they were following that would have like heralded this thing that would have been big enough for them to have been like, Hey, we think something's going on yeah, and we don't think it's normal. <laughs> well, I think, uh, there's, there's a lot of, uh, study on this. It's really fascinating, but Kepler, who is a really important, uh, scientist and he, he is, uh, you know, the Kepler effect and, and uh, he's, he was also a study of astronomy and heavenly bodies. And he, pre, he said basically, well, there's a couple things that you have to realize is that first and foremost, he was also a, a believer and he really focused in trying to prove the veracity of these things. And Halley's Comet actually passed over in 12 BC, but they feel that was a little early because it says it was under King Herod when this happened. Now, King Herod 
died either in 4 BC or 3 BC, maybe as early uh, late as 2nd BC. Mm. And so there's always been some uh, discrepancy or understanding that, you know, Jesus wasn't born on zero, you right. know, and they've always felt it was probably closer to 4 BC. And the reason why is in the sixth century, there was a monk and this monk kind of just worked, tried to work his way back and date it. And mm. you no, know, not bad for not having the tools that you need, uh, to get within four years of when he was born. But there's this belief that, uh, it's not a hundred percent accurate. And I think that's pretty well uh, established because Herod, we do know uh, pretty, he didn't die after zero AD, you know, like one AD or anything. He died either in four BC or two BC. And this happened, uh, the Magi visited after Jesus was born because it says after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, they showed up. Now, what's interesting is that Jesus could it could have been one day after he was born or he could have been two years old, mm. you know, cause, and later on it says, we didn't really read about it, but later on what happened is Herod then when he fit realizes that the Magi didn't return and he was duped, he orders the massacre of all boys in Bethlehem and the surrounding area, two years old and younger. Mm. So he, he commits a genocide to kill all of these babies. Now, so we don't know. So, so there's speculation. Well, does that mean that Jesus was two years old when the Magi showed up? We don't know. Uh, back to the star though, is, uh, there was an alignment of Saturn and Jupiter in two BC. So there was that. So it could have been, I mean, if Jesus was born in four BC, then two years later in two BC, they were following this alignment. Uh, Matthew doesn't really say, and I think part of the reason why is because being Jewish, the Jewish people did not spend time studying the stars to have signs from God. They had other things, you know, they had the temple, which was a big deal. They had the covenant, which was a big deal. They used the umum and thurman, you know, or they would cast lots. Mm. And so these were some of the things that they used to try to determine the will of God. However, the Magi did study the stars and they said that there was a star, a king star. And so I don't think it was a North star. Uh, it probably was uh, various planets that got pretty close to each other, not in a perfect alignment, but they're going to be a lot brighter when you get two planets that come close right. to each other at things. Now, Kepler also believed that it was a supernova. Mm. and a supernova would explode and be extremely bright for a short period of time. The problem with a supernova is there's no way to confirm or deny that scientifically. Right, because it just goes out of existence. It goes out of existence. So it it's there for a brief moment in time, and then it is gone. I think what's really interesting is that Matthew basically says that the Magi said we saw the king's star, his star, when it rose. And so we have come to worship him. And so I think that's really interesting is that whether it was an alignment of Jupiter and Saturn, whether it was a supernova or maybe even a comet, we, we don't know. Uh, I, I would think it's very reasonable and rational to say that there are all kinds of things happening in the heavens that we see 
that happen one time. Then there are other things like comets that come back on certain trajectories mm. uh, because they're in orbits and so forth. And I think it's really amazing that that these things happened and these guys interpreted what they saw as a king star. They followed it, and this is where it took them, which mm. is really interesting because they didn't have a lot of preconceived notions and ideologies and ideas. They just kind of followed it. Well, and we kind of talked about this with the shepherds as well, where it's like they're just following this and they do find Jesus. Yes. And so it's like there, there was some divine intervention to follow it to an exact location of where he would be. Cause it's like, they weren't just going to every door. Like, you know, if we make the assumption that let's say it was right. two years later, they weren't going and knocking on every door, <laughs> door yeah. in Bethlehem or wherever asking, Hey, is there a King in here? Right? Right. And so it's like, they were led directly to the location that he was, wherever that may have been or in whatever time. Correct. Right. And so I think that's interesting. And when they get there, it says that they wanted to worship him. Yes. Right. And it wasn't that they were, they didn't worship by singing, but instead they gave gifts, which is not the typical way we think of worship in Western culture these days. Worships usually were out singing songs and things of that nature, but they worship by gift giving. So why don't you talk a little bit about what that may signify or why that's important? Well, yeah. And I think it's really interesting because in America, what we have done is uh, we've changed the meaning of worship. And I think that that's really interesting is that people will go to church or they will sing and it gives you the impression that it's something I do, you know, that's pleasing unto God. And I think, you know, they, you know, there's a quote in the old Testament said that he inhabits the praise of his people, you know, but worship and praise uh, in the scriptures is always linked to sacrifice. So mm. worship is sacrifice. So I don't really understand how 50% of Christians in America consider themselves Christians, but they give nothing to their church mm. that you're not worshiping. If you're not giving, if you're not sacrificing. So, that's really important. And we see it in what the Magi did. They said, we came to worship, meaning we came to give, they bowed down and then they gave gifts. And it's really amazing. The first thing, and I think Matthew points this out and shows the people reading the Jewish people who are reading this, so it would mean a lot to them because the first thing is they have gold, right? And, and gold is, uh, associated with royalty. And what's really interesting is in the Old Testament, when you read about the temple and the Holy of Holies, they had a thing called the Ark of the Covenant. Right. And then in the Holy of Holies, they had various things. And most of these things were inlaid with gold. or covered with gold. So I just got done reading about this yeah. like about a month ago. So. so gold was a big deal. Right. Um, and it talked not only to royalty, but it talked about purity in particularly in your relationship to God. So you had all these different materials in the temple. And mm. then as you got closer to God, they became more pure and refined And gold. Uh, it's really interesting is that gold was, uh, refined, had to go through a process of refinement and we're in the iron age now. And so they know how to refine metals. Uh, smeltering is the process. And so this is the first thing he's showing is they bring him gold. 
which is not only a sign of royalty, but it's also a sign of spiritual authority due to everything being covered or inlaid with gold in the temple, so Mm. to speak. So that's a big deal. The second thing that they bring is they bring frankincense and you know, the, the, the frankincense is a gift that is, uh, it's like, it's a, a, a scent, Mm. you know, it's a perfume, I guess you might say, or cologne. It's probably though more like incense, you know, that it gives off an ongoing type of odor and it frankincense was a part of an ongoing ceremonial worship of God or a deity in Judaism, it was used and it was burned, uh, in, you know, in the temple and it was used to show that this is ongoing worship. Mm. And so that's what frankincense was. And so here, what they're doing is they're showing that frankincense is this thing that's burning. And I, and I don't want to misconstrue, but because myrrh is like an oil, a, a sweet smelling oil. So you could also construe that as a perfume, but it was mostly an anointing oil, okay. right? And what it was used for is it was like, uh, it had medicinal qualities. So it, you know, if you ever had uh, a cough when you were younger and your mom or somebody put Vicks vapor rub, you know, and that, that stuff smelled and tried to clean you up. So it it had a strong odor like that. It's probably more pleasant than, you know, a eucalyptus smell, but it myrrh was this perfume. It was a key ingredient in mixing and bonding spices that were used to prepare bodies for burial. And we see a reference to this in the gospel, according to John chapter 19, verses 39 and 40, when they prepared the body of Jesus. So it's really interesting that some scholars believe that Matthew is showing how these things were a fulfillment of prophecy. And they also pointed to what was going to happen in the earthly ministry of Jesus. You see, the myrrh was given because you anoint the body after they die. So pointing to his death, death, the frankincense is that ceremonial worship of ongoing that his life would be a life of sacrifice and worship for God gold, that he was a King Mm. right up front. And then they come and they find him because he's under the King star. So I think what's really interesting is that, that Matthew is also pointing to the fact that this Jesus is deity and something that's really important to Jewish people, particularly this time is the writings of the ancients, right? Mm. The, not, you know, the Midrash, the Hadith. I mean, they got all these different things. Hadith, I guess is Islam, but they, um, they, the, they have all of these old writings, you know, in the Torah and and they'd read the Pentateuch and all this kind of stuff. And so to see what was written come to fulfillment was a really big deal to them. And so what Matthew's doing is he's saying that this is not only a fulfillment of the old Testament scriptures, it's a fulfillment of, you can see it was happening before it even happened. Mm. It was being uh, symbolically represented in the gifts before he actually died on the cross. And so he's really showing up front and it must've been really a powerful argument that he had because many, 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 many Jewish people became followers of Christ. As a matter of fact, it was uniquely Jewish until Acts chapter 15, when Peter says after his vision and he's going to see Cornelius 
that a lot of people, some of the, many of the apostles felt like, well, this Messiah is only for Jewish people. And so Peter has this vision and uh, with Cornelius and sees that, oh no, it's for the Gentiles too. And then in Acts chapter 15, we see the first council of the early church and they basically say, yeah, Gentiles are a part of the promise without having to convert to Judaism first. And that's mm. a pretty significant shift. And so Judaism dominated the early followers of Christ, and it wasn't until the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD when it was wiped out by Titus, uh, Vespasian's son. Uh, he later became a emperor of Rome. But what was interesting about it is that it was predominantly a Jewish belief. Called, they called it the way, it's a new way of life in Jesus Christ, accepting him as the Messiah. And it wasn't until the fall of uh, the Jewish temple, the destruction of the temple and the basic dissemination, wiping out of the Jewish faith for a period of time by Titus. And what's interesting about all of that is that's when you see a massive shift to Gentile Christianity. So the center of Christianity is Jerusalem until after this, when Jerusalem's destroyed. And then it kind of moves up to Antioch and then it goes north and to Rome and Alexandria, which is Northern Egypt. Mm. And those are the centers of Christianity for the next 300 years. So it's really, it's really kind of fascinating to study the history of it all. And so I think Matthew's argument and what he was laying out was extremely powerful to Jewish people. And so I think that's a real big deal. So as we're wrapping up today, what are some of the main takeaways you want to give us from this passage in Matthew on the Magi? Well, I, I think a couple of things. Number one is that you have to be able to be open. You have to open your heart. You can't be you know, so committed to a predisposed ideology that you miss Christmas. Mm. And there's two ways to miss Christmas. I think one way is to adopt the secularism or the atheism or the scientific materialism or the multicultural syncretic believe everything is true kind of mishmash of stuff. And, and so you're so committed to that, you know, that you can't, you, you really, in essence, uh, remove the foundational principle and fact that brings about the joy found in Christmas. If you take Jesus out, you, you're going to have fun for a while, but ultimately it becomes empty. It's a shell and it has no meaning anymore. Mm. That's very important to understand. The, the other way to miss Christmas though, is that you're wedded to an ideology where the ceremony and the fun and the traditions and all of the, the candy and the cooking and the food and the singing and the gift giving and the trappings, you're so committed to all of those pragmatic things that you miss without Jesus, none of that would exist. Right. right. So you can have an ideology that basically says that Christmas is not really real. It's just a secular holiday and you miss Christmas. Or you can be so committed to the symbols of Christmas, the traditions of Christmas, that you miss Christmas. Mm. And that's Jesus in and of himself. And I think this is why I think it's really important that every single person who considers themselves a Christian should seek to worship Jesus, the King, as a baby. To celebrate Christmas can be an act of worship. 
and not just giving gifts to others, giving gifts to friends, doing good things, being magnanimous, but also giving directly to Christ, you know, giving a gift, a, a financial gift or a sacrificial gift that costs you something. And that is called worship. So what I want people to really understand is that it is really important that we not lose Jesus as the essence of Christmas, right? We do not lose Jesus as the thing that brings about everything else in the Christmas season. And the way you do that is you worship him and him alone. And I don't mean that purely as a focus. What I mean, though, is your greatest gift, your greatest giving, your greatest sacrifice should be to him first, mm. you know, instead of others. I, I do remember a mom who really, uh, she got married to this guy and they started a, a business and their business really took off. And so they did really, really well. And they were like, man, we could buy our kids anything they want for Christmas, but we're not going to do that. So they get a little list together and they would buy them gifts. And so on Christmas, what they did is she started this thing where uh, on Christmas day, they come down, they do their traditions, they'd read the story, they'd open up all their gifts and blah, blah, blah. And then she would ask her kids, she said, okay, now what gift are you going to give to Jesus? And so they would have to go and pick one of their brand new gifts that they just got. And then they would bring it and set it on the table. And then they would take that, you know, and they would take it to the church to be given to somebody, you know, another kid in need. Mm. And what happened is what was really interesting is when they were really little and just starting out, you know, they gave the cheapest gift. She says, but as they got older, they started to give the most expensive gift to Jesus mm. because, and she goes, that's when I knew that my kids were more interested in worshiping God than getting gifts on Christmas day. And I think that's really the essence of what Christmas is. And, and what I really want to, to drive home to anybody who listens to this is that Jesus has to be Christmas. Only Jesus can be Christmas. If we remove Jesus and our worship of him, then everything downstream in our life gets turned upside down and backwards and out of kilter. It becomes an empty form that doesn't mean anything. And then in our greatest hour of need, in the time, uh, the most difficult period of our life, we're going to need something that is more than fluff. We're going to need something more than just a happy song. We need a, a conviction, a depth of character and strength, a wellspring of honor and virtue that can come out of our life, even in the most difficult situations. And that will only happen if we never lose Jesus. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us, Pastor, today. We really appreciate your insights on these passages and rooting us in Scripture so that we're going back to the truth each and every week. And I just pray that you guys will um, be reading through the Christmas story. Take these times. Get something new out of it every time. Think about why it was written and how it was written because that tells you a lot about what the author was trying to convey to you and your walk. So mm -hmm. thank you guys so much for joining us today. We hope that you join us on Thursday for our next episode where we'll dive into some of the current um, ways that these apply and some of the things that we're um, learning about Christmas more and more every year. So thank you so much. And we will see you on Thursday here on the Salty Pastor Podcast. And remember, wise men still seek him. Thank you.